What's the most beautiful place in God's creation you've ever seen? What comes to mind when you think of the world, places you've traveled, things you've seen? What's one or even two that just come to mind and just are stunning? That you remember just standing there or sitting there and looking at this beautiful glimpse of creation and being blown away. Maybe you kids who maybe haven't traveled as far as your parents or grandparents. What do you love about the woods? Or even just recently with the changing of leaves. My daughter would get so mad when we would rake them because she wanted to jump in them. How could we burn these beautiful things? She would say, it's a crime. Or when the snow, I know some don't like the snow, but if you're a little kid, you love the snow. The excitement of snow. Yes, Liam is clapping. I mean, that is God's creation. I cannot fathom looking at the world without an understanding of God as creator. God as designer. It just gives so much more meaning to our world. That's what Psalm 19 teaches us today. If you remember when we hit Communion Sunday, we pause, we work through one of the Psalms. We do it earlier in the service rather than near the end so that the the climactic moment of our service on Communion Sunday is the table, the gathering and remembering of the gospel and uniting together in this covenant ceremony. We, We pause from whatever series we're in right now, it's James, and we Take a psalm. And we're in Psalm 19, which means we've done this for 19 months now. We've got a few more psalms to go. (laughs) But this psalm describes what we could call God's two books. And that might sound strange, but actually the church has spoken that way for a long time. The church has long described the two books by which God makes himself known. In the Belgic Confession of 1561, don't think anybody was alive when that was written, two things are described that give us knowledge about God. And I even put it in your notes for you to read. The first is what the Belgic Confession describes as what we could just call the book of nature, or maybe even more accurately, the book of creation. And then here's what the Belgic Confession says. First... By the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Since that universe is before our eyes, listen to this language, like a beautiful book, like, in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. So now go back to that image you first had when I asked you, what is maybe the most beautiful view you've ever seen? The Belgic Confession, or our brothers and sisters, have for centuries taught that when you look at God's creation, His preservation, His government of the universe, that you are looking at something like a beautiful book, where all created things are like letters 
to make us ponder the invisible things of God. That is beautiful. Did you know it was Christians motivated by an understanding of God as creator that started universities to study God's world? That it was Christians motivated by God's governance and preservation of his creation that pursued things like science and research. It was Christians. Because they were creatures of the creator, they took to study those things. Well, the second, the Belgian Confession would say the second way God makes himself known is the word of God, a different book. This is what it says. Again, it's in your notes if you want to read it word for word, but I'm reading it. Second, God makes himself known to us more clearly, note that, more clearly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. Like, like notice that, that more clearly is important. You, you could even say it this way, and maybe our kids will, haven't heard the words implicit and explicit. Right? But, but if creation talks about God implicitly, that God's word reveals him explicitly. These two books, God's word and God's world, with the former sitting over and explaining the latter, are to be read by the church and used for knowing and living under God the creator. And that's what Psalm 19 declares. I'm going to read the first six verses for us now. But I want to say that this is talking about God's world, the book of nature, or the book of creation. Again, think of it from the viewpoint of where you remember sitting or standing, looking at the beauty of God's earth. Verse 1, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Remember what glory means? His weightiness, his massiveness, his bounty, his inexpressible size and magnitude and power. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Doesn't this just sound like what the Belgic Confession was summarizing? They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. They speak without speaking is what the psalmist is saying. Isn't that beautiful? Look at how poetic that is. But not in a way that's just artsy to be cute. It's describing how creation speaks implicitly. Without using words, it communicates. When you stand before something of great magnitude and beauty, you are blown away. And when you know that this was made by your creator who sustains all things, governs them, designs them with purpose, and you are part of that. You are humble. You feel small. Just before God's creation, let alone before the Creator. 
You're blown away by beauty. Things that your eye can't... Like, you ever taken a, a, a picture of a scene and the picture just didn't do justice? Because you needed to be there. You're, a camera can't even take it in. You almost need to, to experience in an embodied way because it's just not the same. Isn't that beautiful language in the Psalms? They have no speech... They use no words, no sound is heard from them. Verse 4, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Do you look at the world that way? Do you wake up in the morning with whatever window you might be near, where the sun might come in, where you have your breakfast or read the paper or little devotions or your cup of coffee or whatever it may be, are you just blown away by God's beauty? Or, or, or do we get numb to that? How sad that we would be numb to the beautiful things of God's creation. When you go outside today and it's not too cold, a little crisp air, leaf blowing in the wind, the beauty of the skies, the clouds that you've seen your 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, it becomes normal after a while until you remember that Psalm 19 reminds you that is speaking to you about the bounty and beauty of God. <coughs> that our worship is not just needing a guitar or a piano or a choir or a song, but our worship is literally living in God's creation as his worshiping creature. Again, remember what the Belgian Confession said. What is before our eyes is like a beautiful book. Letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. I would hope, maybe as a family, or with your grandkids, or just as a couple, or as an individual, that maybe you would spend 10 minutes this week. Maybe it's in your own backyard. Take your little, little tiny boys and girls out into the grass and have them find something in the yard that declares something about God. A big tree means God is strong. How high the sky is means that he is massive. The warmth of the sun declares that he's gracious and he's hospitable. And imagine teaching that to our children regularly. My younger son wants to go into wildlife ecology. I've been learning what that is. Because just like his mama, he loves the woods. I remember when Laura and I got married, I, uh, the, the furthest I'd gone camping was, or, or, or time in wilderness was a place called Rock Cut State Park. And my wife grew up going to Boundary Waters, which is like foreign jungle to a person from Rockford. And she said, you got to go. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so about a week or two after we got married in the summer of 99, 
I went with her extended family to what I would call a haven for mosquitoes. <laughs> it was like 90 degrees. My father-in-law lovingly had a very large son-in-law to carry a canoe as we portaged from lake to lake. And for the first day, I'm like, when does vacationing begin? <laughs> when you're carrying the 75-pound Duluth pack and you're putting even toothpaste up into a tree in case there are bears. I mean, I, I like the bears, but the Chicago bears. And they're not very scary. <laughs> but I woke up that first morning. I just heard birds chirping and fish jumping as I'm sitting by a lake that literally had no other human on it, except the 25 of us from Laura's family in one camp spot with her uncles already chopping little benches out of trees, little nieces and nephews already getting ready to go fishing. And literally I saw a moose. It's the only time I've seen a moose going up there, but fair enough, it was the first time. Laura probably set one loose so I would see it on the first trip. <laughs> saw a moose swimming across the lake and just blown away by the peace. There's no cell phones. Nobody's watching TV. There's no cable news. It's just quiet. And you just feel rest. And everywhere you look is beauty. And I'm like, ah, I'm not a fan of the Minnesota State Bird, the mosquito. <laughs> but if you can get through a little bit of that, you're blown away by creation. Who made all these things? They are bountiful in their beauty. And they declare the goodness and the glory of God. Well, Psalm 19 moves on in verses 7 to 13 from the world to the word. And I even want to describe it this way. Scriptures minister to the Christian's heart and soul. And that's really what this text is saying. Like, you might think of Scripture as a rule book or massive amount of trivia and facts. But I want, you to, I want you to listen how it describes it as soothing the soul. So in the same way that you might stand at the edge of the ocean or in Yosemite or wherever it may be and be blown away by God's creation and be ministered to by it. God's word does the same. Listen to verse 7. If you have the text, you can read with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, comma, refreshing the soul. And you don't think of law as refreshing, but you do if it's giving you explanations of the way the world works, about human flourishing. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, comma, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, comma, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, comma, giving light to the eyes. Did you see those four things? God's word refreshes your soul. God's word gives you wisdom. God's word gives joy to your heart. God's word gives light to your eyes. Of all the beautiful things God made in this creation, beyond what we can understand, he wasn't done communicating in caring ways for us. 
Beyond just speaking implicitly, he explicitly with real words spoke to us as real image bearers so that we could be refreshed, so that we could see the world and himself and ourselves properly, so we could have wisdom for living, and so that we could have joy. What a beautiful heavenly father. Then verse 9 moves on. The fear of the Lord is pure and doing forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. That means every part of Scripture is good and for good purposes. Every nook and cranny of your word. Then he describes it with metaphors to help us understand. God's word is more precious than gold than much pure gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. God's word is a guide. It is a comfort. It is a minister. So when you think of God's two books, like the Belgic Confession said, you can see why Christians in the 1500s thought it was helpful for Christians like us to understand how God communicates. Because when you're standing at a lake up in the boundary waters and you're blown away by that rising sun, you're seeing God's gracious communication of himself. When you're just blown away as a little toddler by little leaves in your yard or cool sticks or the little fish in the creek or the sound of the running water, you're seeing God's creative care and gift. And it describes the kind of God that he is. And then you turn to his word and you realize he's opening your eyes to see what's really going on in you, what he's intending to do, what's happening in your world. He's giving you wisdom to walk He's giving you guidance to protect you. He's giving you joy. He's giving you refreshment. That that language of refreshment is when you're sad, he reminds you he has you. When you're scared, he reminds you he's powerful. How gracious is our God? The psalmist ends... In verse 14, with a, with a reflection that's maybe worth us reflecting on as well. In thinking about God's, the way God communicates through his world and his word, the psalmist says this in 14. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What Christian wouldn't want to regularly say that little prayer? Every morning when we wake up, we could say it. Every night when we go to bed, we could say it. And it ends not with what we brought or what we did with it, but it ends with the rock and the Redeemer. We have a beautiful moment to reflect on Christ and his grace to us through the cross with the supper We have some more reflection and song to do, but why don't you just for a moment 
having just received from Psalm 19, just, just pause and just for 20, 30 seconds, I'll give you a moment to, to reflect like the psalmist did in verse 14. To thank the Father for His grace and His bounty and His mighty, or whatever would come to your mind after having reflected on His Word. And I'll, I'll close this in a moment. Father, there are no words that we can say or things that we can create that in any way match what you have made and what you have said through your world and your word. But we ask that you would help us to have the posture of the psalmist in verse 14, that, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, even what we just reflected on privately just now, that they would be pleasing in your sight, Lord. You who are our rock and our redeemer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.